Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Funding Your Vision for the Future with Laura Tiedens. We're always looking at what are the obstacles that women face in terms of advancing to their highest potential. And this is one of them. It's just a lack of confidence in really talking about finances and, and those sorts of matters. Today, we're joined by Laura Tiedens, the president of Scripps College. Since the start of her tenure in 2016, Laura has implemented a series of initiatives to ensure a more holistic experience, cultivate a diverse and inclusive community, and forge strategic partnerships to amplify Scripps' impact and influence on the advancement of women in society. As some of you may know, Scripps College holds a special place in my heart. I had the privilege of serving as the former chair of the board of trustees and helped launch Scripps Financial Literacy Program for undergrads. Today, Laura and I dive deeper into the critical importance of financial literacy and the role it plays in unlocking power, influence, and social impact in today's society. I hope the conversation leaves you inspired by our next generation of leaders. Welcome to Money Stories. Today, I'm so honored to welcome an outstanding college president and influential mentor for so many women, Laura Tiedens, who's the president of Scripps College. Laura, it's a special privilege to have you join the conversation today about women and money. So glad you could be with us. Oh, thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Laura, I'm going to start the conversation by asking you a question I share with all my guests, but in your case, I know our listeners are going to be particularly interested. As president of Scripps College, an outstanding college for women, I think we'd like to start by asking you how you learned about personal finance as a young girl. Do you have any recollection of that, whether you and your family talked about those topics or not? I absolutely do have memories about this. Um, so my family, my parents in particular, were kind of of the sort where money was a little bit of a taboo topic. And it wasn't really out of issues of politeness. It was more sort of a question of they thought that, you know, money was, was a corrupting force in the world. And so they felt that, you know, sort of moral good people didn't spend their time thinking about money. They spent their time thinking about more important values and ideals and learning and, and those kinds of things. And so it really meant that there was very little conversation about money. But that said, we did not have a lot of money. And that was very much present in my childhood, that there were all kinds of things I saw my friends and um, other people do that that I did not know how to do um, or was not able to do because of, of the family finances. So I had both this, I had this kind of mix of no conversation, but very much defining my experience. Um, and as a consequence of that, I became very interested in learning about money because I realized that it was really um, shaping kind of what I was able to do and not able to do. And that, and I realized I wasn't going to learn about it from my family. So I, as early as I could, started trying to figure out ways to earn money, which as a young girl meant mostly babysitting, which I did a lot of. And then the second I had 
just a little pile of cash, probably about $20, I was set upon opening a bank account. And as a, and I must have been, I don't know, 11 or 12 at this time, I walked around. I grew up in a very small town. I walked, there were maybe four banks in the town and I walked from my house to each one of them. And I picked up every little flyer that they had, you know, sitting out. I mean, the probably banks don't do this anymore, but you know, like all the little flyers that had just the information about the kinds of accounts they had. I picked up every one at every single bank. I came back, I spread them out across my bedroom floor and I studied those things and I figured out what all of them meant and which one, where I was going to get the highest interest rate and <laughs> all of these wow. things. And I was so impressed with myself. And you should have been. <laughs> my parents thought this was just ridiculous because I had $20 and it wasn't really going to make a difference. Um, but, you know, based on that, I chose my bank and I went and I opened my bank account and I got my first checkbook. And I loved that thing. And I loved balancing it and really carefully tracking what I put in and what I took out. And that was really my introduction to, to personal finance. Wow. I mean, that there's so much in that conversation. I mean, one of the things we read and research today about women and personal finance is that women do their research, that women are very good instinctive investors, and that uh, one of the things that helps is education. Now, in your case, you did self-education and you somehow, no surprise, you went on to get a PhD, no surprise, you're <laughs> because those ingredients were there. But for those who may not have that instinct, did you have later on any classes, either in high school or college or even graduate school that talked about personal finance at all? I really did not. And it's something that um, I wish I had had. I'm so envious of our students at Scripps who do have access to a wonderful program in financial literacy, um, the Linda Davis Taylor program in financial literacy at Scripps College that so many of our students participate in. And this is a program that um, is separate from the curriculum. They get to do it if they want to. And most of them want to, because I think women of all ages, but I think particularly at that age where you are about to launch your your adult life, realize the importance of this. And they, and they start realizing early in college where they start being, I think, very responsible for their own financial uh, situation, but it be, only becomes more crucial as, as they get out of college. So, but nothing like that existed when I was in college, or at least where I went to college. Um, Right. And and even in graduate school, where where financial questions became, you know, quite, quite central to my life, there was still no clear way to find out about it, uh, to really learn about it and find out about it. And um, of course, you know, I'll date myself here, but this was before the internet was just really starting to be a thing while I was in graduate school. So you couldn't really do research in that way. Now, there's so many resources for, for people to find out about um, about finances and and to learn it and and once you dive in then it's then it's not that much different from laying out all those brochures on your on your bedroom floor so so from that bank account did you have occasion or do certainly you you do now of course with all your responsibilities but do you recall moving on to learn about the topic of investing later on whether 
in college or when you started working and someone said, how are you going to invest your retirement account? Do you recall the path on that part of personal finance at all? So on the investment side, I actually, my first introduction to it was from my mother-in-law who um, there was for a while a trend of uh, particularly, I think, women getting involved in these investment clubs. Right. And my mother-in-law did that. And um, I, and she was sort of a really kind of traditional woman, had not had a career. Um, and she, she did, she taught music lessons. And with her proceeds from her music lessons, she joined this investment club with some of her other women friends in, in Wisconsin. And I was intrigued intrigued by it. And it really took, it took a lot of her time and she started talking about it and it made me very interested in it. And so that is actually the point at which I started reading the Wall Street Journal and, and things like that to understand how that worked. Um, and then also through talking to her. So that was the first I thought about right. it. And then when I got my first job and actually had a retirement account, then I got to actually make those decisions about, about a more substantial piece of money. Right. So, so mentor, you had a mentor, you remember very clearly, another woman as a mentor who introduced you to you the topic of, of investing. And then of course, you went on to become a social psychologist in addition to, of course, being president of Scripps. And I know your research in that field explores this fascinating topic of inequality and sort of what drives inequality. And I wonder if, with respect to now organizational work, which you're so clearly involved in, did that research inform or include any aspects of how you think financial resources impact inequality, either for organizations or for people? Just so curious about your work, your research, and how it, how it relates to this topic. Sure. I mean, financial resources are right at the core of inequality, right? That um, they're a source of power and influence and a consequence of power and influence. It's really hard, in fact, to, to disentangle uh disentangle them from one another. That's always a struggle for social psych social scientists in general who are studying various forms of inequality. Do we need do we mean purely financial inequality or do we mean other things as well? And it's hard to tell because they're so wrapped up in one another. A lot of my research in that area, Linda, was about um, the kinds of sort of almost silly superficial things that end up feeding into inequality or that end up allowing some people to gain power, whether they should or shouldn't. Um, that a lot of times humans make sort of evaluations about one another based on pretty superficial kinds of things. And, and then one of the consequences of that is that we sort of give each other power or we don't. Um, and none of us can have power without others actually giving it to us. So there are a lot of, I think, really interesting findings in that whole domain. But one kind of shorthand way of thinking about all of it is that people gain a lot of power and influence just by being confident and then particularly confident about topics that matter. And I think this is one of the reasons why financial literacy for women matters so much is because if 
people in general, but women specifically can't have a sense of confidence in talking about financial matters. They are just unable really to, to gain any power status and influence. So, you know, as the president of Scripps College, an institution that is dedicated to the advancement of women, we're always looking at what are the obstacles that women face in terms of advancing to their highest potential. And this is one of them. It's just a lack of confidence in really talking about finances um, and other and, and those sorts of matters. And so I think there's such a such a real game for women in deciding this is an area that they can learn about, that they can talk about with confidence and clarity, that they are able to make a contribution in this area because they absolutely are. But when we sort of don't own it, um, it's it's one of the the things that can really stand in our way of, of achieving everything that we want to achieve. Well, I can't imagine uh, anyone could say it more eloquently and, and impactfully than you just did. That's the whole premise behind this podcast series. Exactly. Really encourage confidence and competence and together with this topic, because as you say, it's not just about the topic. Of the, it's not just related to the dollars and cents and how many of those you have or don't have, but just really your whole sense of influence as right. a person. I'm so curious. I know you talk with your students all the time. And one of the things that comes about when I have the opportunity to speak with young women is they often are so interested in having impact and, you know, social impact and impact on the world. And one of the things that I like to use from that conversation is to say that is true. And unless you understand how financial resources work, your impact is going to be perhaps less than you might wish. Do you you think that's a fair statement? I think that is so right, Linda. It was a piece of being a college president that I didn't know was going to be part of the job, but um, I think it's actually a critically important part of the job. So I spent a lot of my days you know, worrying about the finances of the college, making sure that, right. that we use the limited resources that we have to the greatest effect possible. Another piece of my job is hearing from students and faculty and and other community members about all the things they'd like the college to do or not do that that the college is doing and trying to understand and weigh these possibilities, have the institution reflect the values and concerns of the people who are part of the institution. But all of these changes ultimately have a financial component to them, right? And so when I'm working with students who really want to see the college do something new and different, um, and often this is around sort of various forms of activism, it involves finances. And if they can't engage in that part Mm -hmm. of the trade-off, then they're really unable to enact change in this local way at the college. But I think about it also as they're trying to think about being citizens of the world as they once they leave college, that that's right. true for almost all issues that we care deeply about. There's a financial component of it. It costs something to achieve this, or we're spending resources on this that we then aren't going to spend on something else, or we need to find more resources. Um, it just is part of, of the way in which change either occurs or doesn't occur. And so 
Uh, so I end up actually spending a lot of time with students talking to them about institutional finances. Where do we get our resources? What are the decisions that we need to make about, about where we put those? If we put it here, what does that mean we're not going to spend it on? Um, and I find that one of the things that, that sometimes makes our students less effective than, than they would be is when they enter a question about changes. Well, let's just spend more money on something I care about without really thinking about What's the trade-off? Where is that going to come from? Um, if, if I get this, then who doesn't get something else? To you and me, it seems obvious, but sometimes I'll have discussions with women about their own philanthropy. And sometimes this there's a disconnect. You know, philanthropy sometimes seems like a luxury that only people with millions and millions of dollars have really the responsibility or opportunity to bring influence upon what they care about. But picking up on what you're saying, all of us who are part of beginning our own personal life, our professional life, the organizations we care about, those we're part of, we have that responsibility, right, for understanding, first of all, how all that works, and then doing doing our part to make sure right. that we participate. One of the processes I love at Scripps College is we have a budget committee, and um, it's advisory to me, the president. It's made up of, of, of course, staff from our from our business affairs unit, but it's also made up of faculty and students. And it's a wonderful opportunity for them to really delve into these questions about, you know, where where do where do our resources come from and what are the choices that we have to make and how one choice in one direction affects choices in another direction. I always start the academic year off um, coming to meet with that committee to talk to them about the overall financial picture of the college. But I also ask them to really think hard about the choices that they're going to make. And the way that this process works at the college is lots of people make requests for money. And then that committee makes some decisions about where the the money that can be spent should go amongst those choices. But I say to them, you know, they're the people who are going to ask for money. And then there's the the, they're the people who are not going to ask for money. And on top of all of that, there's a really critical part of the college that's called financial aid. And financial aid is a way at colleges that we, I think, have the greatest effect on, um, on society as a whole is by offering students an opportunity for education at a much lower cost than, than, is, than it actually costs to provide the education. Right. So I ask this committee, anytime you allocate any money to anything, I want you to think about it not just as allocating it to that request over another request you got. You need to understand that every dime you spend on any other program or any other activity could be spent on financial aid. And you need to convince yourself that that trade-off makes sense for for the students of this college and for the society that we try to contribute to. Back to the core purpose of education. Exactly. And Part of that seems like an if your students, and I know I know some of them do because I've had the privilege of getting to know so many Scripps graduates over the decades, they're able to take those very tangible educational experiences as being and being on those committees and seeing how it works and applying that to their own budget. A budget's a budget. Exactly. Yes, for a college, it's millions and millions of dollars. But for yourself, your your first job, you know, even deciding right where you're going to live, what your life 
lifestyle choices are, all of those kinds of things are building blocks from, you know, from those, from those experiences at Scripps. Laura, I know you have been at Scripps now in your role for a number of years, and you have the chance to speak more broadly about education and the you alluded to some of the financial challenges. And maybe you were pointing to sometimes there's maybe a bit of a misunderstanding about the fact that colleges like Scripps can actually be available to young women, regardless of their financial circumstance. True? Yes, I'm so glad you raised that, Linda, because we know that some people write off college in general or a specific kind of college because they look at those price tags that you see in magazines or on the website and think that that's way beyond them. But so many colleges have really um, great financial aid programs. And so among the reasons to learn about finances and feel confident about talking about them is so that you can fill out a financial aid application form, which can really make a difference between a college that looks completely out of sight to one that um, that is really accessible for a much wider range of people. So I really encourage young women to, to be looking into that. Um, we know there's no greater investment in anybody's financial future than a college degree. The data on that are just so uh, so overwhelming. There's there's somehow there's really no better investment. And so figuring out ways to make sure that you get that college degree is so well worth it. And it's really important to understand that those published price tags they're about something. Some people do pay that price, but the financial aid system that is run through the federal government and run by private colleges and in conjunction with one another offers so much support. It's, well, yes, it's kind of a pain to apply. It's a long form to fill out, but well worth it can provide all kinds of opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be available. So, Laura, you were mentioning some of the challenges in actually running a college and and the financial necessities and decisions that you have to make. Going back really to this topic of how challenging it can be to talk about money, you know, even as as experienced and accomplished as clearly you are, I wonder, does the topic of finance still pose any stresses for you personally ever? Or do you feel like I have that nailed? What's your experience now as a as an adult? I know you're a mom and you're a leader and you know you yeah. have many responsibilities dealing with money in all kinds of ways. And we're in this situation, you know, where uh, right now in our in our world there's a lot of financial uncertainty. How do you how do you deal with that day to day yourself? Yeah, well, we're certainly in a period of a financial tumult right now in in the world, in the country, and um, and at little old Scripps College. Uh, you know, I think for all of us, the the COVID nineteen pandemic has created so many challenges, um, health wise, obviously, personally, and and financially, and and that's really my day to day existence right now, um, running Scripps College. That that for I think everyone in higher education, this has come with huge, um, huge unanticipated costs that we're not really prepared to to deal with in a way that 
none of the choices right now look look good, and so it creates right. a lot of stress and and a lot of financial stress. Um, and we have hard decisions in front of us about what that means, about how the college will and won't function, about what it means for our employees, and also about what it means for our students because we anticipate just as we're in financial strain, so many families of current students and future students will be as well. And so that really changes the the financial equation. Um, so I think this is a time where all higher education leaders are are experiencing strain, and I count myself in that about how to manage this in the way that will be as humane as possible and where we will continue to deliver on our mission and our and our promise and our potential, um, but to do so in a way that also keeps our institutions afloat and um, able to survive into the future. So it's certainly, I, I, it's a really big part of my existence right now is, right. is thinking about finances. I feel again, grateful for the time that I've invested in learning about it so that I can really engage in those conversations that this means that it's about hard decisions, but not about not understanding, right? Um, I think this would be so much harder if I felt confused by the finances. I don't feel confused. I just think it's, you know, it's hard work in front of us and, and a set of hard decisions to make. Um, so back to that confidence and competence. Exactly. And- changing circumstances. And Lara, just in closing, is there anything that you would like to share with maybe the young listeners who understandably might be worried about the future right now? Is there anything else in addition to your wonderful comments that you'd like to share with them today? Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, we're at a period of time where where so many things feel uncertain and it's easy to respond to that by feeling frozen or unable to uh, engage in things or to make decisions about the future. But I do think we all need to understand that this is a point in time in history that each of our institutions and our country and the world will recover from this. And so to try to find ways to use this time that will put us in the best possible position for that future. So I hope for young people to try to do everything they can to um, not feel overwhelmed by what's going on, though I know that's difficult to dive into um to learning about various things, and that could be about financial matters or about other matters, something that will that will engage them in this point in time, but also position them well for the future. That future does exist. It's coming. We all have to, you know, make really smart decisions between now and then and keep ourselves healthy and, and keep the world healthy. But then we have a bright future that um, that let's not forget that it's there and, and let's keep ourselves kind of on track to prepare for, for all of the great things that are down the road. Well, I, I thank you so much for those comments. And I know that our listeners, just by hearing you, whether they have the opportunity to attend Scripps College or not, I think it's so inspiring to know that there are outstanding women leaders like yourselves leading important institutions and using their valuable time and talents to contribute to the world in this way. We thank you so much for your amazing service and for joining us today. Thank you so much, Linda. Such a pleasure to be here with you today. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram 
at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about the incredible lineup of women on our podcast and share your own money story. Until next time.